Hello and welcome to the Garden Church Podcast. My name's Darren and I'm here with Faith. Hi. Pastor Faith. And we will get to the sermon in just a little bit, but we wanted to make some time and space to talk about something special that we've been having on Sundays. And it's a new song that Pastor Faith, you and your husband, Josh, wrote, and we've shared it with our community. Tell us a little bit about it. What's the name of it? Yeah. And where did it come from? Yeah, so it's called We Need You. Um, and I, I'm going to root this in 1 Corinthians 2 when Paul says, My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power, so that your faith might not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. Um, the, the first thing that was written for this song was the beginning of that bridge section that says, We don't need better plans. We don't need clever thoughts. We need your Spirit, O oh God. We don't want the wisdom of man. We want we want a display of God's power, which is really what the world needs. They don't need to see a show, or even in the area of worship, they don't need to hear good music. We need to see a display of the power of God. So it came from that heart cry. And then the beginning of the song kind of sets up this space where we invite Holy Spirit, we open our hearts, we clear out all the distractions, the things that get in the way and then just simply cry out for more of Him. And it's this this longing to be a, a space where the Spirit would rest mm-hmm. as a community. Yeah, I love that. That's such a the heart and core value of Garden Church. Exactly. Knowing that the Spirit is present, like He's welcome to the party and we get to celebrate. And I so appreciate the beauty and creativity that you've been cultivating, not only with worship, but just something that we can invite the rest of our community into. And, and it's so cool when, when uh, in the recording of this song, it's the first time that we shared it. And it's like people have been singing it for weeks. <laughs> and it was just such a cool thing to experience. And so we're so happy for those of you that have experienced that with us on a Sunday morning. And we want to see just more original songs being birthed from this place um, that you're talking about, just being saturated in the Holy Spirit. So we are welcoming you to stick around after the sermon where you can hear a live recording of the song, We Need You, and I hope it blesses your heart. Church Podcast. The following message was previously recorded at the Garden Church in downtown Long Beach, California. Today, we launch a new series called Artisan Faith, um, and we are going to study the book of Ephesians for the, basically for the next several months, all the way through July, I think it's going to take us. So we will go um, basically verse by verse to this book. It's an amazing letter. So two things I want to do today. I want to um, introduce this, this book and this uh, series to us. And then uh, I'm going to just jump into ch- uh, verse, chapter 1, verse 1, and we'll just begin. Sound good? Okay, so uh, Ephesians um, is a great book. It's a letter, a letter written by a guy named Paul. You might have heard of him. Even if you're new to faith, um, his, the Apostle Paul is quite famous. So the Apostle Paul wrote this letter to the church in Ephesus, which was um, uh, uh, in the Roman Empire. It was a port city. It would be in modern-day Turkey, and it was the second largest city outside of Rome. At the time, it was written around 60-ish A.D. Um, but what's unique about this letter is it's one of the only epistles that Paul writes that's um, not specific, it's a general letter, meaning um, he's not writing to a specific church dealing with specific issues like he does with 
the book of Romans or Corinthians, 2 Corinthians. Um, Ephesians is a book where it has kind of a a larger general picture, like a a bird's eye view of what God is doing. And and Paul writes it as a circular letter, so it was passed around for the early church as as more of instructive, more of uh, a bigger story of what God's doing. So as we read this as we read this, it's going to be important that we see that this particular book um, is set apart from all the other books. So in this, over the next several months, we're going to look at all sorts of things. Um, we're going to talk, uh, what Paul does is he kind of gives us this big picture of what God's plan is for the world and our lives, for the church, for the nations, um, all of the cosmos. And its purpose, the book of Ephesians, is to basically ground um, uh, new converts, new Christians in faith by showing Christians, God's plan, his redemptive plan, and God's hope. And, um, and then what we'll see is that from that perspective, Paul will teach us how to live our lives. So what this book is about is about living. It's about life. So what we'll see over and over again is how God's work and his plan and his desire for creation will, will shape our identity, will shape our purpose in life, our meaning. It will give us, it will teach us This book will teach us how to pray, how to live in community, how to deal with addiction, how to deal with alcohol, with our sexual identity. It will teach us how to live healthy marriages, how to parent, how to live in the workplace, how to deal with the enemy, all sorts of things. Does that sound like a good book? We could use some help on all of those things. Amen. Amen. I'll just say it by myself. Amen all by myself. Um, Gosh. I, uh, <laughs> I'm excited for this book. So a couple more things that we just need to know and then we'll jump in. Um, the book is divided into two parts and I would love for you to read a, an actual Bible. You can have um, your Bible on your phone, but I think as we go through this, um, one of the things we're fighting against, if you weren't here last week, on Monday we launched a 21-day fast. Um, so we're starting, we're, we're in a fast seven days in, and um, one of the things that we invited people to fast is social media, distractions, um, and cr- we want to create space to be in the presence of God. We, I just know that there's so much fighting for our attention and our, 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 our focus in this world. And so, um, and I'll just confess, whenever I read on my phone, I, the, I, like the first thing I do is look for things I can post on social media. Isn't that ridiculous? Does anyone, can we just confess? Let's just start with that easy confession because it's going to get really serious in a little bit. So you want to start light and then end heavy. And if you, if you don't raise your hand in the light stuff, you'll be forced to raise your hand in the heavy stuff. Um, but, but one of the things I just love for you to have the Bible, the book is divided into two parts. Chapters one, two, and three is really Paul saying, this is what God has done for us. This is all, the plan. This is the redemptive. This is the gospel. This is everything God's done for us. And then at chapter four, um, it transitions to uh, a, a different type of teaching. Four, five, and six of Ephesians um, is what we are to do in view of what God has done for us. So it's our response to God. And I just want to make this clear because the way even Ephesians is structured is the gospel. What I mean by that is um, so many other religions uh, will, will say, here's what you do to get to the spiritual path of enlightenment. Or here's how you reach the deity. You have to do all these things to get there. But Christianity is set apart from all other religions and beliefs where we recognize God's done everything to be with us, to to take us to the place that we desire to go. And all we have to do is receive it. And, And what we do in Christianity is in view of receiving it, Paul will say in Ephesians 4 verse 1, now live your life 
worthy of the calling you've received. So now in response to who you are, let us um, live out of this new identity. Does that make sense? Okay, so that's the book. We'll, get, we'll, we'll do background stuff along the way um, and all sorts of lovely things. If you have a Bible, go to Ephesians. We're gonna go to chapter one. Um, if you don't have a Bible, there's some Bibles in the front. Um, you can walk up here and grab one like Chad. Great job, Chad. I appreciate you. Points to you. And he's now gonna pass. Oh, man, he's serving. Look at that. Dude, you, got, you have like crowns in heaven, just an extra gem. I just, I'm just kidding. That's not true at all. I know Chad. He doesn't have a crown. Uh, just kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Uh, just like me. <laughs> all right, Ephesians chapter one. Let's read this. You know what? Why don't we do this? Why don't we do this? Why don't we stand and read this together? We're going to read two verses. Let's stand. This is the word somebody thought it was important thousands of years ago to um, write down and collect th- this. And this is such a gift. So let's, let's actually, let's read this aloud. Are those verses up on the screen? They are. Okay, here, let's read this together. Paul, an apostle of Christ, Jesus, by the will of God, to God's holy people in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. All right, amen. Go ahead and grab a seat. This is the word we're going to focus on. We're actually, next week, we'll do verse two. This week, verse one. Sound good? So I'll just read this one more time. We're going to do one, yeah, we're just jumping in. We're going to speed through Ephesians. Ephesians 1, Paul, (laughs) an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. Let me just side note this. How amazing would it be for you to say uh, uh, your name and what you do by the will of God? Confident in what God has invited you into. Um, just, Just, you know, Susan, mother of three by the will of God. You know, John, um, business owner by the will of God, teacher by the will of God, engineer by the will of God, banker by the will of God, student, whatever it is, by the will, knowing that that's, that's amazing, right? So Paul says, by the will of God, and then he says this, he says, to God's holy people, God's holy people in Ephesus. Sorry, Don, are you okay? Want some water? Sorry to highlight this. This is my friend Don. He's, it's his 80th birthday today. Sorry. He didn't want me to do that. This is my spiritual father right here in the front row. He is so dear to me. Happy birthday, Don. I love you. Sorry, I, I know you hate it, but I love you. He says, to God's holy people in Ephesus, to the faithful in Christ Jesus. So, to God's holy people in Ephesus. All right, if you have your Bible, let's go to Romans chapter 1. Verse seven, let's just scroll there. I beat you there if you're trying to type it in. Look at that. (laughs) Chapter one, verse seven, Romans, okay? It's to the left, and we're just gonna look at this. It says, uh, verse seven, to all in Rome who are loved by God and called to be his holy people. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter one. Let's see if you can beat me. This used to be a thing we did in seminary. Um, No, we didn't do that, actually. All right, Uh, verse three, Is it verse three? No, verse two. There we go. To the church of God in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus and called to be his holy people. Second Corinthians chapter one. Go, 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 go. Who's there? Just call it out. Come on, we're gonna have fun today. Verse uh, one, to the church of God in Corinth, together with all his what? 
holy, 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 holy people. Uh, let's just look. He skipped Galatians because um, Paul was a little upset when he wrote Galatians. If you haven't read it, he wasn't calling them holy. <laughs> we can do that one later. Uh, Philippians, to all God's holy people in Christ, Jesus, Colossians. What does it say in Colossians? I, I bet you could guess by now. To, uh, to God's holy people. So Paul begins this letter by calling groups of 10s, 20s, and 30s meeting in homes scattered throughout the Roman Empire, holy people. The word in Greek is hagioi. Will you say hagioi? Okay, one more time. This is a fun word. One, two, three. Okay, when you go home, just be using this regularly. Hagioi. It means holy, set apart, blameless, sacred. It means saint. It means power washed and cleansed from the inside out. This is what Paul calls those who identify themselves as Christians in the New Testament. Nowhere in the New Testament is a Christian called a sinner. You are a saint in Christ. This is how the book begins. By the will of God, the Apostle Paul, to the holy people, to the saints in Long Beach. Jesus, for those of us that are saints, it's referring to those who are in Jesus and their fundamental identity has been changed from this old life to a new life that's now hidden in Jesus Christ. So when you open yourself up to Christ, when you open yourself up to a relationship with Jesus, you accept in that opening up I believe that you are Lord and raised from the dead. I want to walk in a new relationship with you. That moment you begin to open yourself up, you are given a brand new identity. Saint, holy, blameless. Turn to the person next to you and say, you're a saint. If you're sitting next to your spouse, say, you're a saint. <laughs> oh. This is what is referred to. So, so what I want to talk about is just this idea of, of this identity. So um, you are now set apart. You are holy. You are sacred in Christ. Um, do we sin? Of course. Yes. Yes, I sin regularly and all the time. More often than I would like. I regularly repent to God. I regularly repent to my wife regularly lose my temper, regularly say things I shouldn't say to my spouse, regularly lie, regularly lust in my heart, regularly get angry to the point of rage. I have fits of jealousy and envy that would seem like a junior high girl. Um, <laughs> and probably a temperament that's similar. Would you agree, Alex? Yeah, maybe so, so. But sinner is no longer identity. It's no longer our identity, according to Paul, and I'm gonna make this case today. Uh, Thomas Merton says this, I love this quote. For me, to be a saint means to be myself. Therefore, the problem of sanctity and salvation is, in fact, the problem of finding out who I am and of discovering my true self. Your true self, let me just make sure you get this and hear this. Your true self is only found in Jesus Christ. We live in, a, in the gospel of self-help today. We live in a world where even Christianity will lean towards us saying the truest thing about you is whatever you feel it is. You know what I'm talking about? 
You can will yourself into a, a more powerful state of existence. That the things inside of you that your deepest desires in your heart, that's actually who you are and you need to be free and live that out fully. That's a lie. Jesus will say that actually what comes from within is what defiles you. But in Christ, we are given a new identity as saints, as holy, as set apart holy people and saints. And when we come to Christ, he doesn't want us to become programs or robots of some evangelical system. That was a good move, right? Just like, just that right there. Um, You're welcome. You're welcome. Getting the hip hop. But in Christ, we actually discover as we become more like Jesus of the New Testament, Jesus of Nazareth in the scripture, we become more fully ourselves. And what God longs for you more than anything else is for you to be fully who you are, for me to be fully Darren. The more Darren I am, the more I'm living out of what Christ intended me to live out in the first place. Does that make sense? This might be news for some of us. Because as we become more like Jesus and take his yoke upon us, we actually become more fully ourselves. And this is our true identity. This is who we're intended to be. This is what it means for what, this is what everyone's searching for. This is what we desire. And our hope is only to discover who we really are in a relationship with Jesus. And the letter of Ephesians begins with Paul saying, this is who you are. Because Paul knows that humans try to define themselves by everything else other than that. Don't we? That our truest identity is found in what God thinks of us and what God has already done for us and what he has created us to be and for. And from this place of acceptance of identity from God, we actually live out our true selves in full, uh, and we become free and fully alive. This is what it means to be a saint, to be fully alive, fully yourself in Christ. And this is why it's so important. What Paul will do for three chapters is give you a perspective of who God is and what God is like and what he is doing all along because our perspective of of God and our relationship to him will redefine the way we live in reality. So let me just say it this way. Your view of God shapes the way you interact in, in the world. What you... Your view of God shapes the way you interact in the world. I want to make that point real quick. Um, anyone here a list maker? Do we have, can we just proudly raise our hands? My, does anyone here have lists with like other lists? Like you like make a list and say refer to other lists? Like, you know what I'm saying? Like there's like so many sub points. And there's like, a, there's like an index for your lists. Like, Oh man, it's brutal. <clears throat> like the other day we were cleaning our house and my wife made a list because I need a list. I'm a guy that needs a list. Um, and it's just like, here's the order in which you clean. Literally, I'm the kind of guy that will be cleaning the kitchen. This happened yesterday. I'm cleaning the kitchen. I'm literally scrubbing all the things and she's like reminding me over, don't forget the cupboards, don't forget the cupboards. And then all of a sudden my mind's like, oh, the bathroom. And I'm like, done. I'm not even done. I'm in the bathroom cleaning. She's like, hey, did you clean the appliances and cupboards? Uh, yeah, uh, half of them. I'll be right back. You know, I just, I need a list. I need a list. But some of us, or actually most of us, carry different kinds of lists, don't we? The lists of pain, mistakes, the lists of all the wrongs that have been done to us or even the wrongs we've done to others, the list of our false identities where we hold those embarrassing moments that have defined us or those events 
that have created great humiliation or pain. We carry those lists. Like um, what I've done over the time, over the years, is just establish these lists. And, and it's really about comparing. Sometimes it's about comparison to others, but a lot of times it's about all the things that I'm not measuring up to be. Anyone do that? Like you just, and, and usually I, I live with this. Let me just show you the list that usually, what, the list looks like this. It starts like this. Would you put that, um, is that up there? I am not blank enough. Is that, do I have that? There it is. Okay. For me, this is how I live my life. It's this, this inadequacy. I've created a list of, I'm not smart enough. I'm not strong enough. I'm not good looking enough. I'm not old enough. I'm not young enough. I'm not um, uh, courageous or brave enough. What are, some, can we just, what are some of the things that you say, like, I'm not good enough. I'm not worthy. What else? Because whatever you say, someone else is going to feel the same thing. And that might, I'm not what? Not thankful enough? I'm not successful enough. Totally. What else? I'm not funny enough. Totally. That's how I feel on Sundays. What else? Not smart? What else? What are the, the things that you carry? This is so helpful. I'm not skinny enough. I'm not organized enough. I'm not brave enough. I'm not tough enough. I'm not daring enough. God doesn't want another Darren, Jeremy. <clears throat> you need to be more Jeremy. I'm not Darren enough, right? The, this whole message is about that. So we carry these lists, and sometimes it moves into the people. We, we start comparing ourselves and contrasting the differences with our brother-in-law, our friends, our sibling, or, or some of us maybe compare ourselves to the other pastor who wrote lots of books and has a bigger church. Like Maybe some of you do that. I obviously don't. Like, why would I ever do something so insecure? But we spend endless amounts of energy and resources and time thinking about all the things that we aren't. We live our lives out of who we aren't, and we're driven by what we aren't. And the truth is, who you aren't isn't interesting. And this is what's so brilliant about Ephesians and Christianity is so many other religions actually start with, this is what you aren't. This is who you aren't. Here's how you get there. Add these things to your life. And what we have in Christianity is God who's telling us who we already are. The Bible actually begins in Genesis chapter one where God creates humanity and guess what the first word spoken over us is? It's good. The truest thing about you is you're good. You're good enough. And yet we will spend the rest of our life trying to prove that to everyone else. Trying to prove it to God based on our perspective of God, right? Isn't this it right here? This is why it's so important that we have our perspective, right? Because if you're like me, you spent a whole, you spend a whole lot of time and energy trying to prove to God that you are good enough, that you were worth it that you can do it, that you're smart. And that's why you need to understand who God is and what he's like and what he's done and what he says about you and then rearrange the feelings and the thoughts around those words because only then can you operate in your true identity and power that God wants to give you. And so we, we have to begin to embrace the reality that 
Um, you, we are saints. And, and so one way to look at it is God, God calls us saints. God makes us saints. And so as Christians, um, we are becoming who we already are. And I've used this illustration dozens of times, but I just need to reiterate it because there's not a better illustration for this. But in Christianity, we are saints, so now we have to learn how to be saints. Does that make sense? We don't naturally choose not to sin. We don't naturally choose to um, restrain ourselves when we're angry at saying the wrong mean things at our spouses. That's something we have to develop. Some of you naturally have that. Praise Jesus. Most of us have to work hard on those things, right? Do you know what I'm talking about? So, so for example, the illustration I've always used is when I became a husband, right? 22 years of life, I became a husband at 22. I spent my entire life looking at the ways to be single, organizing my entire existence around singleness. And then I tried to prepare for marriage, but nothing will ever prepare you for marriage. I promise, nothing. Even if you do premarital counseling through me, I will do a horrible job. And I will always say, by the grace of God, go in peace. And the power of the Holy Spirit. But so on that day, June 9th, 2007, Bill, who are, is one of our teaching pastors, says, you are husband pronounces me husband. Do I have any clue how to be a good husband? No, I haven't the foggiest idea at all. I have learned singleness my entire life, and now I'm given this wife that I have to learn how to operate every single part of existence together in mutuality. That is really hard. Can I get an amen? <clears throat> now, but, but so what happens over time, almost 10 years now, 10 years later, nearly, um, we, uh, I do things that I've learned to, uh, as a husband, I, I, I take out the trash, I do the dishes, I shower regularly, which was something I didn't do um, when I was single, but I learned my ways. I, I, I massage wellness points when she's feeling sick. I, I serve, I sacrifice, not to earn the right to be called husband, but to live out of the identity I have as husband. Does that make sense? Just like a parent, you do the same thing with kids. You don't know how to, how to be a parent. You just kind of, well, m moms get the, the blessing and curse of, of going through the pregnancy where their body changes. So they're, they're clearly, they know something's coming. And the guys, we don't really know what's coming until it's thrown into our arms. And then we realize, and maybe the hormones throughout the pregnancy, but mostly when the baby comes, then you're like, okay, there's this new reality I have to step into. And you have no idea how to do it. And that's okay. If new, new parents on their way, you won't have a clue, but you'll learn. And you'll, you'll do things like you'll get to the point three years down the road, you're like, man, I'm actually, I'm, I'm parenting. Yeah, all right. This is, this is what parenting looks like. And you're failing at the same time, but you step into the identity, right? So as Christians, we are becoming who we already are. We may not feel like saints. We may not always act like saints, but this is the truest thing about you. And what we need to do is discipline our, our lives and learn to accept what is true and live out of what is truest. So the Ephesians, the, the, whole, the whole book will be, here's who you are, here's who you are, here's what God's done, here's what God's done, here's who you are. Now in view of this, live worthy of that reality. So, so, so pray. So live in community. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. Uh, hey, don't get too drunk on, don't get drunk on wine. Be filled with the Spirit. Uh, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives to your husbands. Husbands, uh, love your wife as Christ loves the church. Um, hey, parents, do it this way. Um, all, 
all this stuff comes out, all this Christian behavior is in response to who you already are, and it's teaching us to be who we already are. This is what Christianity is about. So we will do spiritual disciplines. We will take on new habits. We will take on new exercises to accept what is true and what is truest about us. Make sense? Kind of. We'll, we'll clear it up a little bit in just a moment. Um, so just a couple of things, like what Paul will do over and over again, and I just want to show you what he does. Um, we'll get through some of this in the next couple of months, but he'll say this, like, without Christ, here's a list of what he'll say in Ephesians. Without Christ, look, you're dead in your transgressions and sins. You follow the ways of the world. You're ruled by the ruler of the kingdom of the world. You're enslaved to your cravings and desires of your sinful nature. Does anyone feel like that sometimes? That's just, I mean, seriously, addiction. It's like we can't help but do the things we don't want to do. We're enslaved to those cravings and our desires of, of, of well, he'll say sinful nature, the things that are just diminishing life within us. Objects of wrath, separated from Christ, excluded, foreigners to the covenant and promise, without hope, without God, far away. But then he says this all over the place. In Christ, we are blessed with every spiritual blessing. We are chosen before the creation of the world. We are holy. We are blameless. We are adopted as sons and daughters of God. We are redeemed. We are forgiven. We are included. We are sealed with the Holy Spirit, recipients of God's lavish grace, recipients of God's glorious inheritance, (gasps) made alive in Christ, saved God's workmanship, part of the new humanity, fellow citizens, members of God's household, building blocks of God's holy temple. Can I get an amen? This is what God is doing. This is what Paul will will emphasize over us. So now in view of this, we have to learn how to live our life. This is absolutely amazing. This is who we are. Let's add some more confusing insight into this. Go to Colossians. I want to just show you. Just I want to keep reiterating. This is who you are. This is your identity. I love what he does in Colossians chapter 3. If you don't, just scroll to the right or, yep, you know what to do. So Colossians 3 verse 1. I want to read another passage, just kind of reiterating our identity. Look at what, uh, a little more insight about what it means to be a saint, what it means to be in Christ. Uh, Chapter three, verse one. Since then you have been raised with Christ, set your hearts on things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. So again, in view of where you are and who you are, do the things in response to it. Set your mind on things above, not earthly things. Listen to this. For you died. Past tense. And your life is present tense, now hidden in Christ, in God. For you died, and your life is now hidden in Christ, with Christ, in God. And when Christ, in the future, who, who is your life, in case you forgot, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. So you're, let's look at this slide. Your past, for you died, your past is dead all your sinful behavior, all your past life, your, your, all the things that you did, that is dead with Christ on the cross. Your current present reality, it's now hidden in Christ, in God, and your future, you will appear with Christ in glory. This is what it means to be hidden in Christ. Is this, let me just try to, try to make sense of all of this. Let's pretend, just for a moment, um, that the shadow trooper of this Lego, which, can you see it in the back? Good. This is a shadow trooper. It's a Lego shadow trooper. His helmet comes off. Let's pretend you are the shadow trooper. You're welcome. Star Wars seems, there we go. Shadow trooper, this is your life. Let me illustrate what Paul is saying. This is your life. And what he says is, your life is hidden 
in Christ, with Christ, who reveals himself, hold on, I gotta make room for this, as Christ and Spirit, we'll just put this right here, and the Father. So we have Jesus, the Spirit, and the Father. So what we have is this image that Paul, more than anything else, as an example of identity, is that you are in Christ. And what we, what's revealed is your past, your present, and your future is in Christ. Do I have the foggiest idea what that means? No, except. <laughs> I tried, and we have theologians debated. Do you, do you accept for this one fact and one truth? You no longer have biblical justification to call yourself a sinner. You are saint. You are a beloved saint, set apart for God's work in this world. And if you don't accept this, then you're fighting with what is ultimately true about you. And unless you embrace the truest thing about you, you won't operate in the world the way you were intended to be. In other words, you won't be fully yourself. You won't be fully alive. Again, do we sin? Of course. But we no longer are defined by our sin. How many of us have allowed our past to define our present? Isn't this text so beautiful? You died. So anyone here have a past? Just raise your hands. You're in a safe place. Yep, okay, good. You want to have a, a dark, shady past? I'll be the first to raise my hand. Dead with Christ. In Christ, it's gone. You don't have to worry about it. Anyone um, allow, currently, can we just talk about this for a moment? How we allow our past and our sin to define our present reality. That list that we were making earlier of all the things that we aren't enough of, that's a false identity. That's a false reality. And it diminishes our life. It diminishes who we really are. And what we have to recognize is that um, we have to step into this reality to bring life, to experience the life that God has for us. I'll just share quickly a bit of my story so you can understand what I want to get at as we move to response. Um, I, in, in kind of answering why identity is so important, why saint is so important, why our view of God shapes the way we live and interact in this world, I grew up um, somehow believing I was not enough in everything. And it took a form early on, early on, like sixth, seventh, eighth grade, up until the rest of my adult life, up until a few years ago, uh, in massive insecurity and self-hatred. Body image issues. Uh, I used to starve myself in high school. I was suicidal in high school. That type of self-hate doesn't go away by itself. And it would carry into my college years. And, and as I came back into faith, it went into this relationship with God immediately. That God, I have to prove I'm worthy. I have to show him I'm good enough. Because by myself, I'm not only not likable, but I'm not lovable. And so I did all sorts of activity regularly to prove my value and worth to both God and people. And in fact, what I, what I did over time is I just developed all sorts of habits and behaviors to receive my identity from people. So I worshiped at the altar of approval of others. Anyone here struggle with that? 
that we value so much, the opinion of our friends, our, our colleagues, our coworkers, our, the social media world, that we res- that's where we, we live and die on, the words of others, the approval of uh, trying to prove. And we exhaust ourselves. We spend all sorts of identity trying to receive what's given to us by God. And it played itself out to, I'm planning a church driven to receive identity from church. Trying to do all, say yes to everyone, make everyone happy. I was exhausted and sick and I was burnt out. And, And that's what happens if you live your life trying to define yourself by what you were or what you're not or by your past, trying to prove something to the present, receiving identity from everywhere else or anyone else other than God. It will lead you to exhaustion, burnout, and a diminished life. And that's what happens when we don't think we're enough. And so for me, I had all these issues that I carried around. And it was like my, my past sexual relationships or my lies um, about myself that I wasn't good enough. And there one goes, right? And then there was all the greed, all the things that I wanted. Dude, my anger, all my anger issues, my lust. We'll put this one, stick here. Lust was there. All, um, my, all the issues of my past. What are the things that you guys have? The, the, the lies that you live, the false identities or the sins that keep you uh, anchored to the past. What are those things? Fear. Fear. Let's just, let's just, oh, these are all gonna fall off there. I'll just stick them right here. Look at this, check this out. Fear. Shame. Shame. Just slow down. I can't write very fast, okay? <laughs> Shame. Confidence? You say confidence? Not confident enough? Lack of confidence. Man, can I get an amen to that? Anyone struggle with that? What else? Can we put unforgiveness in there? Those people that you are anchored to, that I have so many of those. Gosh, what else? What? Pride. Oh, man, nobody struggles with that. That's it. You're the only one. Sorry, miss. Just kidding. What else? Failures. Oh, I've got a long list of failures. What else? Oh, oh man, the need, the need to be productive and time. Oh, these are not, okay, this, I, I didn't practice this. This was just an idea. I'll just stick them here. What else? Okay, but this is the image I had. I had, I just saw us trying to look at this. Trying to live, this is perfect illustration. For, trying to just live <laughs> our lives. God, I'll go where you want me to go. <laughs> right? And then, and then what's amazing is we get to church and we show up to church and we see all these people in their Sunday's best and they're ra- raising their hands and they're worshiping, but all we have is this to unload. Paul says, no, you're a saint. Take off the old self and put on the new self. Brothers and sisters, you don't have to carry this anymore. You don't have to be defined by this anymore. You don't have to carry it anywhere because you're free in Jesus. So be free. You're holy. So be holy. You're a saint. Be a saint. This is how the book of Ephesians begins. 
Because unless we receive this, unless we live out of the freedom, the identity that God wants to speak and give over us, we will never fully come into what it means to be ourselves. If we don't get this right, we won't live and interact in the world the way God intended us to live and interact in the world in the first place. And the implications are so radical. The vast majority of us live our lives in fear, in pain, in false identities, in guilt, and we organize our lives around what we have to carry around in life. If we're carrying this around as we go into our workplace where we're called to be missionaries, how how are you going to speak the words of life over people and bring them a new identity and call them out of darkness if you're lugging this stuff around? How are you going to operate in God's holy world as a saint when you've organized your life around what's happened to you and your past? And God will, Paul will speak over and over you again. It's like, this is what life looks like now. Be this, which is very confusing, Tupperware. And, and the pastor says, I'm a shadow trooper. I don't know what he means by that. He doesn't know what he means, but at least he's honest. (laughs) The second reason it's so important, the implications are so radical, is we will try to define ourselves by everything else in the world, by sin, by relationships, by our success, our failures, our calling, our past, our brothers or sisters, whatever. I mean, everything we could find identity, every place we could find identity, we will go there. But the scriptures will say Christ just overshadows all of it. Which, let me just speak to that for a second. Why? Um, clearly, sexuality is such a big thing right now. You know, all we, you know last several years, decade, um, in the church especially. But when we allow our sexuality to be the primary place we find our identity, you have to recognize you're diminishing your identity. It's not big enough. You are body and spirit mind, emotions, and social capacities. Sexuality is just a piece of who you are. And that is overshadowed in Christ. Whatever you call yourself, it's overshadowed in Christ. That's your identity. Go with good news. Don't just limit your identity to a preference or whatever that is. In Christ, it's overshadowed. Is that good news? So we need to engage it on a much larger scale, church, the way Christ does because he calls you saints. Can we just get an amen for that? You're all saints in Christ, no matter what you've done or where you've been or who you think you are. So you can't define yourself. And then lastly, I just think so much of the church life today has been about sin management, hasn't it? It's like we get into these great small groups and accountability groups. All right, guys, we're gonna get together and hold each other accountable. And every week it's just coming together to confess the same stuff over and over again. Oh, I stumbled again. I stumbled again. I stum- Do you think that's what Jesus intended when he said to go to the nations and baptize the nations? Do you think he intended us to get in little coffee shops and talk about our little problems or to be freed from those problems so that we can go into the world and resurrect the dead? We need accountability group for the impossibilities of God. When was the last time your friends were like, hey man, when was the last time you prayed for somebody that, did, that got healed? You better be praying this week. I'm holding you accountable to see that healing. We think that's, that's, that should be the norm. But we've diminished the power. And this is the secret. The enemy will go after your identity more than anything else. This is what he does to Jesus. Jesus is baptized. The father says, this is my boy. 
with you and well pleased, doesn't do anything, he just receives that identity. Then he's like, all right, I'm going into the wilderness, and what does the enemy do? He tempts him with what? Identity. If you really are the son of God. He just received his identity. If you really are the son of God, prove it. And Jesus wins. And what does the enemy come to do? Shrink your identities to your past and your sins so that you don't operate as a saint because nothing is more terrifying to the enemy than a saint who knows his true identity because that's where the power is. You've been commissioned by Jesus to do what he did and to be like him, to do everything he did and to be like him. So brothers and sisters, as we begin this journey, Step one, accept who you are. Saints, holy ones, worthy, beloved, and more than enough. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Garden Church Podcast. For more information about the Garden Church, visit thegardenlb.org. Stir up the fire.